Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am, but Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Am I tough enough? Strong and stable leadership. Total rhubarb. Hell yes, I'm tough enough. Shut the fridge. Not another one. It's the Politics Show podcast. Hello and welcome to the Politics Joe Pubcast, a slightly more sombre edition of the Politics Joe Pubcast. Um, I'm joined by Ed Campbell, the golden boy of Politics Joe. Ed, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Good. Thank you, mate. Good. Excellent. And Ava Santina, Capital J journalist. How are you? Great. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming into work. Um, <laughs> we are... Nicole's goal today. For once. <laughs> <laughs> um, what have you guys been up to? Decent weekend? Yes, it was a nice weekend. Had a friend's birthday drinks and had a roast yesterday. First roast in a few I'm months. looking forward to my first roast of the season. It was a good oh, day. you haven't had one yet? No, it's a good. Day. I've had a few rogue ones where I go back to see my family and we'll be like, oh, let's go for a roast on the Sunday. And they've all matched up with the like 30 degree days. Uh-huh. Can't have yeah. a roast. So no roast beef then. Often like sat in like a pub beer garden, baking in the sun, eating like... <laughs> A quarter of a chicken. Mm. Yeah, it's not great. Roast potatoes, sort of war- increasing my internal body temp. No. Looking forward, though. Looking forward to my first roast. What did you go for? It was a roast chicken. My friend my friend made it. Mm. Very good cook. He's also a food critic, so it's going to have to be. Yeah. Um, he It was roast chicken with... <laughs> it's my ex-boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> we were just having lunch. <laughs> yeah, so that's how we met. Um, roast Top. chicken with everything. Top five roast components, if you can only have five bits on the plate, including gravy, what are they? The meat. Any Which meat. one? Which one? Uh, I'd go for lamb over any of them. I thought you would have been a half a chicken guy. I think I eat a lot of chicken anyway. Right. So I, yeah, I, don't, I don't see, yeah, because I'm huge. <laughs> but I don't, I don't see um, chicken as like a special occasion meat. Mm. If that makes sense. <laughs> if you want more, if you want more of my thoughts about what meats qualify for special occasions, um, just DM me and I'll let you know. Yeah. Mm. Um, <laughs> so lamb, so lamb, yeah, lamb, Yorkshire puddings, 
roast potatoes. See, we're getting dangerously close already. Gravy, and then you have to have a veg. I'd say broccoli. Yeah, that's okay. a good a good choice. Or, or take out roast potatoes and have potato croquettes. What? No. Yeah, special treat. Why? Because uh, they're tastier. With gravy on them? Yeah, they're good. That's really weird. Uh, is it a croquette with, let's say, some ham on or something no else on, on. The <laughs> on the inside? No, no, no. just patata. Just that. Just that. <laughs> <laughs> just patata, no bravas. <laughs> <laughs> Any place for um, a little bit of cauliflower cheese in there? Um, well, not in my top five. I think I'd sooner just have straight broccoli than cauliflower cheese. It's a bit stodgy a lot of the time. I think it's quite easy to do a bad cauliflower cheese. Yeah, I'd hear that. What about you guys? What are your special occasion meats? Pork belly. Yeah, that's a goodie. Because you get the crackling there as well, which, you know, if we were to, does that count as one of the top five? I would argue that it's just part of the one with the pork because it's the skin of yeah. the meat. So yeah, pork belly for me and your veggie. So what mm. is it? Just joyless nut roast. No, I don't. I don't normally. I just normally do bits. I'm more of a all of the the trimmings uh, rather than like an actual nut. I hate the nut roast because I suppose without the main event, you can just go full send on all the yeah all the associated stuff. parts. Yeah. So that's why you want your cauliflower cheeses, your stuffing mm. balls, your mm. parsnips, your roasted carrots, that kind of thing. Yeah, I like a honey roast carrot. Yeah, I'm not a parsnip man personally. Do you know? Taste. I would have thought that. Yeah. If, there, if someone said to me, what veg you give off does that Ed vibe. not like? <laughs> I would have gone for a parsnip. Uh, anyone, ask anyone. <laughs> they, they will say the same thing. Um, right, should we talk about the news then? Sure. Yeah, we put it off for long enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's all the whimsy you're getting with this episode. <laughs> so, um, there's, I mean, the, the story, right? The, the news story of the weekend about Russell Brand. Um, accusations in the Sunday Times and uh, Channel 4 investigation dispatches in partnership um accusations about rape and sexual assault uh, accusations which he strongly denies um but four women have accused him of rape and sexual assaults between 2006 and 2013 while he was a presenter for bbc radio 2 and channel 4's big brother spin-off and again he denies those accusations one woman says that brand raped her against the wall in his LA home. She was treated at a rape crisis center on the same day. The Times says it has seen medical records to support this. A second woman alleges that Brand assaulted her when he was in his early 30s and she was 16 and still at school. She alleges he referred to her as, quote, the child during an emotionally abusive and controlling relationship. A third woman claims that Brand sexually assaulted her while she worked with him in LA and that he threatened to take legal action if she told anyone else about her allegation. The fourth woman alleged being sexually assaulted by Brand and him being physically and emotionally abusive towards her. The investigation also included claims about his behaviour towards women and his workplace conduct over the same period. The BBC, Channel 4 and a production company, the one that made Big Brother and its spin-offs, have said they are investigating after the allegations came out. Uh, since publication, The Times says it has been contacted by several women with more claims about Brand, but said their allegations have not yet been investigated and will now be rigorously checked. Um, the journalists working on those Times and Sunday Times investigative stories were Rosamond Irwin, Charlotte Wace, and Paul Morgan Bentley. Um, Ava, a a big, big story about, well, gender politics, about workplace relations, um, and, well, yeah, I guess the, uh, the alleged completely inappropriate and disgusting behavior of a powerful man. Um, your initial reaction when this story uh, surfaced. 
My first reaction was this must be linked to some kind of global conspiracy theory trying to take down powerful men. Of course. So I obviously thought of your Joe Rogans, your Tucker Carlson's, and I thought to myself, what do they all have in common? The COVID vaccine. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Um, Naturally, that's what you thought. Uh, Ed, did you think the same? Believe it or not, I did. <laughs> if, if and, I, I, and I didn't because I'm a shill. Oh, even I were at the same flat earth conspiracy. Excuse me, conference. It's not conspiracy. <laughs> no, no. no. Covered the real conspiracy. Yeah. And um, everyone there was saying the same thing. Mm-hmm. That, and we were glad that Russell came out ahead of the allegations. Yeah. He did, didn't he? There was an interesting bit I heard. Um, I think I think it was in the ST story, and, and maybe I heard Rosamund Irwin talking about it in broadcast, that... They basically they reached out, right of reply. He instructed lawyers. The lawyers asked for more time. They gave it, and then stopped replying to their requests for comment. Mm-hmm. And then his video came out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, there was a brief moment there on Twitter when the video had come out where you did think to yourself, "My God, imagine if it's not about him, and he's just <laughs> <laughs> just to let you know." <laughs> I've been accused of these horrendous things. There's um there's a bigger conspiracy around it, like in the you know in the the vortex, the lizard vortex, which is that um, when he left, I guess, polite society and went onto YouTube to talk about his conspiracy theories, that um, he did all that to kind of build a following behind him, so as when these allegations were to surface, he could go well. I told you they were going to do something mad like this. I told you they were going to try and bring me down. This is just because of the Moderna vaccine, you know? I think there's, um, if you if you look at sort of uh, how culture has changed in the last 20 years, and actually um, this is a slightly protracted point, so you have to forgive me for talking for a little bit, but if you, one of the really striking things in the Dispatches program for me was the clip of him doing stand-up. Oh, yeah. Where he's talking about like getting a blowjob and a, um, a woman's mas- making a ma- woman's mascara run, and obviously it's incredibly sinister in context of some of the allegations because one of them does pertain to a sexual assault relating to um, oral sex and mascara running. Yeah, which was really grim. The the sort of side takeaway for me was that there's an there's an audience of I'd say like a couple of thousand people laughing at that material, and I thought it was really striking just how far I think public attitudes have shifted away from that in recent times because you think about that sort of mid-noughties that you're sort of you are prime lad culture mm-hmm. right you are things like that um being enormously popular as well as you know um little britain is probably a pretty good example similarly um mighty bush mighty bush buzzcocks you know incredibly provocative it was like the, the sort of that um fat families yep you know uh, particularly in tv actually of, of, of like sort of trying to find the line of which Channel 4 was actually really at the vanguard of um, and, and, and pushing the boundaries of what was acceptable and what was tasteful and that sort of thing. You, you then, Me Too happens, right? And, and there's allegedly this broad reckoning about gender relations and the abuse of power by men. Um, you have, in that time, you have Weinstein who, who gets done. Um, the Savile allegations come out. Not to not to say that there's necessarily a parallel between those two men um, and Russell Brand. And in the intervening period, what has Russell Brand been doing since he left mainstream mainstream uh, channels? I, I always think it's funny. Again, this is a side note. 
that people people say, oh, you know, I'm not in the mainstream media when they publish on YouTube, which mm. is the world's largest search engine and is owned by it's one six of six million subs on YouTube. Yeah, one of the most powerful um, companies in the world, mm -hmm. and suggest that that's not mainstream, as if you're like some kind of like alternative or uh, countercultural thinker. Um, but anyway, he this reckoning happens, right? Me too happens, and he has an incentive, I think, to if these allegations turn out to be true to create this legion of fans who don't trust the media. Because that's a key part of his messaging on there, right? Is about mainstream media, about the creation of narratives and how people are telling you lies, whether it's in relation to um, ivermectin and coronavirus, whether it's in literally any of the stuff he talks about. It's one of his favorite sticks to talk about. He has this kind of like messianic quality to him. His, one of the really interesting things in the Sunday Times piece was about his festival where he kind of walked through the crowd in like a kimono and everyone was touching him and he was going like, you are now free, you know, carriers, you are carriers of the revolution. If the allegations are true, he obviously has an incentive to, to, to create this legion of fans who don't trust the mainstream media mm. that are reporting the allegations because then they go, you know, in the same way Tate's fans go, oh, it's the Matrix. The mm. Matrix are attacking him. They then don't, they then doubt the the veracity and how trustworthy the information is that's coming out of the the, the mainstream outlets that are reporting this. Mm -hmm. you remember the Trues, which was his show. I never actually watched it, but I'm aware of it. I think yeah. I think like, I, I think I only watched the Ed Miliband one, which was on the eve of the 2015 election. But the tagline for that was, "It's like the news if the news was true." That's why it's called the Trues. So since pre 2015, he's been creating a narrative that mainstream. Journalism isn't accurate, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which he can now pull in his favor. If, if you, all your fans believe that and you've been outed by the mainstream media. Yeah. It's a hard one, isn't it? Because I think there is merit in not just getting your news from terrestrial channels or from, um, I don't know, any, any kind of title that is out there. I think Broad there's like, papers. you know. I think just kind of having a little bit, you know, looking around and reading other yeah, bits no, is sure. helpful. But that bizarre disregard for, I mean, even the Times story itself or the BBC, it's just, it's just so galaxy brain, I can't even put it into words. I was trying to think about it over the weekend. What I don't understand is there's this sort of marked distrust in the BBC and other organisations that you can't get the truth from them or whatever. And then you've got an institution like the Met which has hosted people like Wayne Cousins and typically what the three under 3% of rapes lead to conviction, right? It's got a proven track record of not dealing with sexual assault well. How do those two schools of thought go together and think, well, then a woman would obviously go to mm -hmm. the Met to report a rape if it actually did happen. But in the same vein, you wouldn't go to the BBC to talk about your pro-Brexit train of thought because you don't believe that they would deal with it in the way that you'd want. Do you see what I'm saying about that parallel? Yeah, I, and I, it's actually one of the... Um, I guess we're talking about sort of the reaction to this, right? The, the unbelievable, like, the legions of people who've turned out to defend him in the face of these accusations, right? It, 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 um, it kind of baffles the mind. And one of their one of their primary lines of attack is this is um, why didn't they go to the police? Why haven't, why isn't this a criminal investigation? Why is it only coming out now? Um, why is this happening in the media? And you're absolutely right to, to highlight the fact that I think probably the vast majority of women 
actually don't feel particularly comfortable coming forward to the police with allegations mm-hmm. like like this. I don't think they think they go. They don't feel like they're going to be treated seriously. Um, as you've mentioned, there have been multiple recent high-profile instances of rapists literally working within the Metropolitan Police mm-hmm. and not and only being caught after you know a litany of crimes. Um, and you mentioned, you know, the, the the charge rate for rapes is less than two percent. You know, so so what 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 are we saying? Are we saying that ninety eight percent of of women in those instances are lying and their claims are baseless, or are we saying that actually the Met is not an institution or any other police force for that matter is is an institution which is capable of taking sexual assault and sexual crime seriously? You know, I don't I don't yeah. think it's wrong of a woman to to not want to go through that process. It's hard enough to do what they've done already, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, if you're going to go and report a rape, let's just like go through the stages of that. So you turn up, you have to give over your underwear. Sorry, I'm going to take it here. But you have to give over your underwear. The rape kits that are used to assess you sometimes are kept in fridges that don't work or they're left open and therefore they're contaminated. You have to give a statement two, three, four, maybe five times. You have to give over your phone. Now, something really traumatic has happened to you. The first thing that, is going to, you, you want to have is your phone. You might want to call your family or mm-hmm. talk to your friends. You're going to have that agency taken away from you. And all of your text messages from the past two to 10 years are going to be read through by some bloke called Steve, who might not have been particularly nice to you when you turned up at the station. And if you've ever shown an interest in, say, rough sex, or you've sh- actually shown an interest in having a sexual partner, that evidence is, go- is going to be used as evidence against you in a courtroom read out to a couple of hundred people where a jury will decide <laughs> that, no, no, she liked choking once, therefore she she was consenting mm-hmm. to this sexual act. I think so- someone made the point, I, I wish I could remember who it was because I think it's a good point, is someone, say you were one of these women, it's like, why now? People are like, why now? Why are these people coming out now? And someone made the point, that going forward of your own agency to report something about a powerful man, a powerful, famous, rich man, who, like, and it's unlikely to be treated seriously for the reasons we've already discussed, but if you're approached and said, I'm a journalist working on this investigation, I've already spoken to X number of people who are willing to go on the record, would you like to add your testimony to that? That's a probably a much more appealing proposition than reporting it to the police. That's mm. a, that, it's, it's easier to get people to go on board with that with that investigation rather than the police investigation as well it's also arguably you've got to supply a lot more evidence to a newspaper that's going to run a sexual assault allegation than you do to a police officer and i know that sounds ridiculous but especially one against a man who is particularly litigious you're going to have to go overboard with what you're supplying Mm. right yeah it really um i thought it was one of the most sort of undignified responses to it particularly from people who are kind of within the media um, casting doubt on on allegations like that is they've been working on this story for four years, you know, and and the heavy lifting, the heavy lifting and the research and the fact finding and the investigation. Actually, there's very few institutions or things that are capable of doing that yeah. beyond you know established. It's the irony, right, of 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 brand traducing mainstream media is that. Things like Channel Four, well, dispatches on Channel Four, and things like the Sunday Times are actually some of the only th- only organisations that are capable of conducting this kind of research mm-hmm. and investing the resources into it. It's not cheap what they've done, and a lengthy process. And actually, you know, your your point that it's probably easier 
for those women to talk to a reporter than it is to talk to the police force. But it's still not an easy thing to do. No, you know? no, no, no. And that's probably why it's taken as long as it has. And, sure. I, and They've got to go on record. That's the problem, isn't it? Yeah. You've got to actually put your face and name to it. You know, I, uh, what really... I, I think that one of the most upsetting things that we were looking back on with the Russell Brand thing over the weekend was on his BBC Radio 2 show, he had this newsreader that he always used to say things like, oh, I'd like to get under the table. And, you know, he used to just sort of jibe at her. And it was very, you know, that kind of lad culture of the time. And she actually made complaints. And then he would joke on air about the complaints she'd made. I mean, what... What, what do you want from these women if you're going to, mm. you know, everything was just, is a laugh and a joke in that era. I think also the issue is freelancing in media spaces because a lot of the time, even if you're working at BBC or working at any radio station, it's, it's, well, it's probably like maybe a 70-30 split of employed versus freelance contracts. If you are a freelancer, fresh out of university, you don't have a direct line of contact. You don't have like an HR person that you can go and report things to. And if you are to go and report something, you know, it's, sometimes your your boss is the one who is harassing you. And what you're going to go to them and be like, I'd like to make a complaint about the way that you've touched me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, you know, what are you going to do? I think that that structure, you need to have like a kind of almost like an ombudsman or, you know, an HR that's outsourced that you can go to and make a complaint. Because if you're in the project and you're an editor that's trying to keep talent happy, you're going to get rid of the freelancer rather than actually tackle what might be going on with the talent. I think having a third, that's a really important distinction, which I'll pick up on in a second. I think the, um, the third party idea isn't actually uh, necessarily a bad one because, you know, uh, speaking anecdotally from people I know, nine times out of 10, you know, if you're a junior member of staff at an organization, the HR uh, department's job is not to facilitate correct working practices. It's not to maintain that codes of conduct are maintained. The HR department's job is to contain the potential fallout and spill, particularly if you're making an accusation against someone who's more senior than you in a company, um, either keeping it quiet, either via, via an NDA or, you know, reporting back to senior managers about what is happening. Nine times out of ten, because the HR department is within the company, who are they responsible? Who you know? Who 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 do they answer to? It's the senior management team of the company. Mm. I imagine the head of HR is probably within that management team, and their job is to protect um, the senior members of staff. They're always going to protect those people, particularly over junior members of staff. And that point about the talent is a really really interesting one because there is a dynamic, isn't there? There's a separation um, within media, whether that's um, at a BBC radio newsroom or whether it's at uh, a TV production like was it it he presented the thing that went on to become Big Brother's Little Brother didn't he it was mm -hmm. it was it forum was, yeah called. yeah the talent is separate to the other staff mm -hmm. it's that they're, they're not treated the same even though technically you're all working on the same thing together right but as talent you're different to the people behind the camera the camera operators you're different to the producers you are different to the editor you, and you're certainly different to the runners you are, you're, it's almost like a degree of reverence. You know, it's, it's, 
oh, we can't upset Russell mm. because mm. otherwise, you know, he won't he won't be on form for the broadcast no. and he won't have the same pattern. And everyone's, you know, how, is his rider here? You know, have we have we, have we, st- have we made sure we've got you're, the you're fucking... to behave in a way that is completely inappropriate for anyone else of that team to behave? Yeah, uh, well, for anyone to behave in a, in a workplace. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and you know, I'm not talking specifically about the accusations that he's faced, which he denies. I'm talking about just generally within media, right? The attitude, the power dynamic there is, is um, it's in completely asymmetrical, to be honest with you. And I think there has to be a degree of introspection within the British media about how if you're going to allow one aspect of it, because te- technically everyone who works on a production like that, you're all members of staff, you're all working on the same thing, right? And yeah, okay, some of you might have higher salaries than others, but that doesn't mean that you're entitled to behave in a way that's different to other people. They do, though. Huh? They do, though. Yeah. yeah. I mean, who among us can say we haven't been screamed at in a way that is just completely inappropriate? Yeah. Completely. And if it was in any other workplace, it would be an egregious mm-hmm. breach of contract. I remember talking to um, a friend who works as a producer at a nameless organisation, uh, was moved on to a new show to work with a notoriously difficult host, talent, and... They said that they, on the first edit, they sort of had this like screaming row with the talent. It was um, podcast going out after 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 broadcast or something, and they said that they wanted to do that because they wanted to establish from the outset that it was sort of like this is what I'm responsible for. You as the presenter are not responsible for deciding what happens in the edit. I am responsible for that, and they felt that if they didn't do that immediately and it still was like an incredibly dysfunctional thing right they're having a screaming match with someone and actually quite a risky thing to do having a screaming match with someone who's far more senior than you um that if they hadn't have done that then essentially the working relationship would have just been horrific for them because they would have from the outset already established you know that they were a junior partner in the relationship and they were going to be bossed around and um potentially you know uh abused is the wrong word but i can't think of what, what the right one is in, I think in a working it is context abused. i think it is abused on the 16-year-old thing. Yeah, that's about power dynamics as well, isn't it? I just think that was a... F- I was going to say fascinating because I don't really know how to describe it. The discussion that was going on um, over the weekend, which was like, well, it's not illegal to have sex with a 16-year-old. I cannot think of any man in my life, my age, who would want to have sex with a 16-year-old. Yeah. And I wouldn't associate with them if they did. What I don't understand is that kind of gap in the law... Which is that if you are, say, someone's teacher, you can't have sex with a 16-year-old, right? Because you're in a position of influence and power over them. Mm-hmm. I don't understand why that doesn't, or actually I think it should be broadened out to include high-profile media personalities. You know, someone who can be indirectly influential over you. I mean, controversially, I think the age of consent should be raised i think if you're over 18 i don't think you should be allowed to have sex with a 16 year old or maybe if you're over 25 you should be allowed to have sex with a a 16 year old i don't think that you know i don't think a woman's brain is formed properly at that age and i don't think that they can have the majority of girls not women girls that age i don't think that they can fully consent to a 40 year old man and have sex with them I think it's um it's certainly a, it's a biological fact, right, that our bodies carry on developing um, up until I think at least twenty one, maybe even twenty five. Um, certainly, some cognitive aspects. I sh- I struggle to um, accept personally, actually, that 
that means that, at that we have to wait until that age before people can consent to do certain things. I, we, were, we were talking about this before we started broadcasting with Laura and she, she made a really good point because I was thinking that if you're old enough to pay taxes, i.e. at 16, you should be old enough to vote. I actually think that's relatively uncontroversial. But why, why do we have these, this gap between you know, what, can you, what you can do at 16, what you can do at 18? You, know, you, you, can, you can consent to sex, but you can't buy alcohol, for example, you know, when, you're, when you're 16 years old. And the point that I hadn't particularly given very much thought to is that actually maybe it's a little bit reductive and simplistic to say, well, once you're 16, you should be able to do all of those things. Because actually, you know, just, just because you're old enough to, to consent or decide about one thing doesn't mean you're necessarily ready to consent or decide about something else as you get older. And actually having that disparity between, between those things is actually probably a reflection of a slightly more nuanced, a nuanced perception of maturity and um, development and with, when you become a legal adult. Um, previously, my view was sort of broadly sort of once you're 16, it should, it should not in the context of a sexual relationship, be a free-for-all. Like you're 16, you should be able to vote, pay tax, uh, have sex, buy alcohol. But actually, I'm, as I get off, maybe it's because I'm getting older that I no longer Being think further away from there. Famously now further away from 16 than I was back then. So, yeah, I'm not, I'm not entirely sure what the answer is. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's, you know, you can consent to sex at 16 with someone up to the age of 21. Yeah, I would say, yeah, 25 or something. Because I think, it, where's the cutoff though? Yeah, it's, well, so, I, it's so arbitrary, isn't it? No, I don't think it is arbitrary, actually, because I don't think the law is um, to inhibit the 16-year-old. I think the law should be there to say to a 40-year-old man, like, mate, like, don't have sex. <laughs> mate. Mate. Don't, mate. No, but, yeah, having sex with a 16-year-old at your big age is a really strange thing to do, and you're but going think, to have untold influence and power over this person. I think that's the case over any age between 18 and 25, though. Well, yeah, like well, I don't think you're having, wrong there. A 24-year-old having sex with a 16-year-old, that's weird. That's a weird thing to do. 21-year-old, well, that's weird. Is there a difference between what we find um, tasteful or acceptable and what should be legal? I just, I, I look at my, particularly my sister, I look at her and she's a lot younger than me and I'm still like, God, you're a child. Why would a, okay, she was about, she's the age now that I was when I started dating a man who was much older and I look back on that and even though none of that was illegal and all of that was above board, but I used to turn up at things, events and say I was a student to his friends or actually I used to go to media events with him. And people were like, oh, you're a student. What are you studying? Looking back on that, what on earth was, how embarrassing is that situation? You were with a 21-year-old mm -hmm. student taking them and you, you at your big age. It's a bizarre dynamic that I just don't think is palatable anymore. Because what I was going to say was what, what you're saying there about like what self-respecting 40-year-old man, you know, dates a 16-year-old. And um, I guess... That what I was going to say was, yeah, I mean, I would, I would have absolutely no time for someone that was doing that, right? And I think that's, that's a key distinction, is it, because you're totally entitled to say, you should be fucking embarrassed by that, mate. What are you doing? Like, you're a grown-ass man. Mm -hmm. Fucking get yourself together. Mm. But it's a, it's, a, it's a step much further to say, that's criminal. Yeah. Isn't yeah. It? It's just, it should be the social embarrassment of saying your girlfriend can't come because she's in detention. Should, yeah. be, should be enough. She can't have a drink because she's 17. Because she's got um, hockey in the morning. Yeah. I just think that that 16, 17-year-old, 17 17-year-old, 17 I just think they're children. 
Mm. Yeah, they are. I think I think so. So there's when you are that age though, you you're like I'm not a child. It's it's like the weird is some some between the ages of sixteen and eighteen is legally a child, but you don't feel like a child. You don't look like a child as much as you used to. There's like an interesting gap between like the teenage like late teenagehood, I suppose, and like because also. When you're that age, you're like, I am, I am an adult. Yeah, yeah. I could, like, don't, don't tell me what to do. Yeah. And it's Would, so funny. I don't know if you've, if you've mistakenly found yourself in a pub or like a club that happens to be on a student night and you're like, why are all these children in here? Yeah, no, yeah. It's not, it's, it's oh, oh, no, these people are actually 21 years old. Yeah. And you realize that at the time when you thought you were Billy Big Bollocks, you, you, you actually <laughs> look like and you And then there just... are some people walking into those student nights going, oh, who shall I take home? Oh, See, when you put it like that, it's disgusting. It's <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. God, imagine like a 40-year-old man going back to student dicks to like... Um, what do we make of then... It seems we're talking about kind of social ostracization and the social reaction to, let's say, the case we were just, the theoretical case we were just talking about. A lot of people saying, uh, it's been a, another common refrain uh, that about the presumption of innocence, about how we're innocent until we're proven guilty and until uh, Russell Brand answers a charge or defends himself in court, he has the presumption of innocence um, held up against him. And that what's happening right now is just a uh, a trial by media. Well, I suppose you're teeing up um, the point that the state presumes you innocent until you're proven guilty. And actually, we, the public, are allowed to think whatever we like. Because free thought and, you know, all of that lovely stuff that the right wingers enjoy so much means that I can actually presume someone guilty if I'd like to. For example, I regularly presume Jimmy Savile to have been guilty, even though he was not found guilty yeah. in a criminal court. Mm -hmm. um, but that would be a really good debate to have. Maybe we should invite on people defending Russell Brand and go, make your case for Savile. <laughs> oh my God. Maybe we should get a medium on and we can, um, we can interview Jimmy Savile. We, could, we wouldn't have to stop there. There's a ton of people we could interview. If we had actual medium. If we had access to what the What podcast that would be? Diana. Hitler. Whoa. It'd be interesting. But the th you say whoa, but I think that is probably, if you like surveyed the British people about who they could communicate with, actually it's probably slightly different now that the Queen has died, but <laughs> yeah. it, I think honestly it would be like Savile, Diana, Hitler. You're probably, yeah. I think those three characters loom fairly large in the Nightmare British consciousness. <laughs> if you could ask Diana one question, what would it be? Mine would be, would you cull all the XL bullies? <laughs> Um, I don't know enough about it to be honest with you. Should Camilla be queen? It'd be interesting to hear her take. Didn't she have some kind of um, super prescient like interview where she talked about some kind of conspiracy or something? Have I made that up? I don't know. Was it with, was it in the Bashir interview? There's three of us in this marriage. Is the only thing I can think from that. Mm. Maybe you on the TikToks. Yeah, you're down, I, you're down the Diana TikToks. <laughs> I'm absolutely not down the Diana TikTok rabbit hole. Um, that would be so chic if you were. <laughs> Came in with some mad conspiracies. Well, he's got a parallel career. <laughs> and there's just no crossover in audience between politics show and the conspiracy stuff. So no, like, one knows no one knows. Exists. Isn't it suspicious that Diana died the same year that Windows 97 came out? <laughs> That's a great Ollie impression. It sounds very similar to your Keir Starmer impression. Bill Gates. Paris death trap. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, seeing as we're talking about Jimmy Savile and Russell Brand, shall we play the clip of them, well, them talking to each other? Yeah. Yeah? It'd be very nice to meet you one day, Mr. Jimmy Savile, just, well, you know. if you've got a sister, you could meet me by bringing her along. I, I mean, I haven't got any sisters, I but... I don't usually meet fellas, but if you've got a sister, that's okay. I've got a personal assistant called Marsha, and part of her job description is that anyone I demand she um, greets, meets, massages, she has to do it. She's very attractive, Jimmy. Well, that's, that's, that's a good start. What kind of start? You could send her along to do some research. Would you like her to wear anything in in particular, Sir Jimmy? I'd actually prefer her to wear nothing. Right. So you want Marsha, my assistant, to meet you naked? Okay. Well, that's that's not going to be that's not going to be a problem. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that, Jimmy. That's pretty disgusting, isn't it? Really gross. Mm. Is I think actually both of them speaking together. It does. The Russell Brand allegations were an open secret in the comedy industry. I heard a comedian do stand-up about it five years ago, and he said, "There's people talk about this as an open secret, so that means it's not a secret. These are the allegations. And so it's been widely discussed within comedy for however long, and I think it was similar for Jimmy Savile's career, the allegations that he made over his career. It was the case like, I think that's what people aren't are finding uncomfortable is that it's, it's like the point about the, the journalistic aspect of this thing is you can these things can only go public after years and years of thorough investigating and standing up your evidence etc. But there's no nothing stopping you telling your friend that guy's a wrong and stay away from him. Yeah, and I actually have a problem with uh, the, a lot of a lot of the time people you know. Again, maybe I'm just completely Twitter-brained because most of my talking points on this podcast have been about like what the people defending him have to say for themselves. Um, but, you know, oh, it's taken so long for the allegations to come out. What do you mean it's an open secret, etc.? And it's kind of like, well, an open secret can mean that young women who have, um, who have experienced sexual assault or rape feel like coming forward is going to be to their own detriment, whether it's in terms of their career progression, whether it's in terms of how they're seen by their colleagues or peers, whether it's, it can mean any host of things. Um, and that something being an open secret is perhaps an easier, a path of least resistance in terms of a defense mechanism for, let's say, the women working in that industry. Mm. Parliament is probably a pretty good example, right? Where mm. people give each other a nudge and say, don't go meet that person by yourself. Don't get in a lift with that person. Yeah, because you it's it's very different and it's and it's actually much harder as we've discussed to prove that something has happened mm -hmm. and also actually a lot of the people involved don't particularly want to go through the process that that requires that to happen and so it's simpler and safer for them to instead just watch out for other people and issue warnings rather than trying to get a front page on the sunday times or trying to get a criminal conviction by the police I think it's the shame aspect of it as well. It's oh, yeah. really easy to do kind of like a shock. This is not what you did. This, um, some commentators who've just had like a shock reaction, which is we'll just go to the police then, completely forgetting or disregarding how embarrassing it must be to be the person who's been sexually assaulted or sexually harassed. I mean, having to go, something that horrible happening to you, and then you have to go and talk to a man about it and explain 
well, he put his hand on my leg. And they say, well, what's wrong with that? And you, how do you convey mm. how horrible that was or that feeling? You're just being forced to relive a moment that you now want to forget. Yeah, and I would much rather talk to, if it was me, Rosamond Irwin, than I would talk to Barry and Bolton mm -hmm. at the police station. You know as well, you know the other thing, I think on your point about open secrets, I think it's about appetite. I think that the last couple of years that there's been such a change in how we, what we perceive sexual assault or sexual harassment to be, right? There's been such a gigantic shift from that lad culture that was overarching. Pervasive, yeah. Pervasive, sorry, yeah. Um, like think about Noel Fielding has been documented to have been kissing Pixie Geldof when she was 16. No one really cared when that story came out, but now this Russell Brand thing's everywhere. People are like, hey, that's really weird. Why would he do that? You know? Yeah, I think um, recent high-profile case is probably the Rubiales thing, right? And Jenny Hermoso, when he kisses her after they win the World Cup, if they win the World Cup. The conversation and reaction to that, if it happens in 2004, uh, I don't think it's the same. Oh, no, no way. No. Can, did I say Noel Fielding, right? Mm -hmm. You did say Noel Fielding. I was worried I said someone else then. Um, yeah. Do we have uh, anything else we'd like to mention or discuss in relation to this? Building to Beverly Turner. Oh, fucking hell, yeah. Should we just put the clip in? Yeah. A huge investigation, a huge story, and I'm astonished that you let to his defense before you can have any read of his content in the last uh, three years. You have you no idea who he is. Now. The dispatch you have no idea what he represents. Had you watched the dispatch show when you had you watched the dispatch show when you put that tweet out on Saturday morning? No, but that you doesn't matter. No, it doesn't matter. There was nothing you hadn't you even seen the dispatches program when you put out he is a hero. And you he hadn't even seen the dispatches program. His, he Let me would not you, have gained you make of that? the as popularity a woman, as a woman knowing that how, how difficult it is in this country. If all of the mainstream media hadn't been singing for Missing one non-scientific no, hymn sheet for the last three years, women. shame on you. Then he wouldn't have the hero. Shame on you for attacking these women. You've created that hero. Shame on you for attacking these women. Because all these people, all these newspapers that gave one side of the pandemic, he was it's, a lone It's now voice. about COVID again. Beverly Turner's other big hobby horse, she can't get through an hour without going on about COVID. This is not about COVID. This he is about serious about allegations about a public figure who has been accused by four women of twice two of rape, one of grooming a six-year-old, and you're banging on about COVID. He talks about the you're thing obsessed. that matters. You're no, obsessed. I'm telling you you're obsessed. that the reason Stephanie. he is a hero to right. millions of people, yeah. millions who will right. be watching not this channel, Four women. is because of his position right. on politics right. in the last three right. years. So that's Beverly Turner calling Russell Brand her hero and Andrew Pierce explaining to her that he thought her tweet was reprehensible. I feel that like this is just, you know, that Lemmy meme where it's like double down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what? What on earth is going on? It's actually quite interesting. That I'd be interested to see if they're broadcasting again tomorrow together. Because um, I think I don't think I've seen something where two anchors on air are arguing with each other in the way that they're arguing with each other. There, I mean, you've got, you, it's actually quite difficult to understand what they're saying. They're speaking over each other so much. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know why. What that? How personal can I get? As personal as you like. Let's see, I remember her losing her job and comforting her afterwards because she was saying it was because she was a woman. 
and because she was a mother and that's why she felt she lost her job. And also there are tweets to corroborate this that are still live. Um, and now she's out and out just basically shouting that all women are liars. All women who make accusations are liars. I think that's, that's, Where did that change? I think that shows what we were talking about earlier, the power of Russell Brand's anti-MSM brand. Mm. The brand brand. But <laughs> they have, but if, but if you sign up, to, if you swallow, swallow the Kool-Aid of Russell Brand as a messiah and write about everything, it, you, you stop engaging with it critically. Like I think people who engage, who buy that entirely, and if you just happen to have a news breakfast show, you're going to, you aren't going to engage critically about that. You're going to repeat what you believe to be true about these things and shows the power of building that anti-mainstream narrative. Mm. There's probably also a bit of um, cynicism, right? That if your audience is one you've courted because of uh, COVID skepticism, vaccine skepticism, or in some instances, outright denialism, uh, you almost feel obliged to go out to bat for someone who took the same stance on those issues mm -hmm. as you, knowing that actually uh, your audience, again, you know, we've, we've spoken about the messianic quality to him. It's a cult. You know, he, he actually does have a cult of personality around him. And if you don't support him, you're going to be judged accordingly by those people. And you'll no longer have, without those, without those loyal followers, you're sort of, you're sort of nothing, right? Um, I mean, it's a motley... It's a gallery of bastards, really, the people who've come out to defend him. Mm -hmm. um, Tate, uh, her, uh, I'm pretty sure I saw Lawrence Fox saying something as well. Um, Musk. Did yeah. you say that? Sorry. No, no, I no. didn't say Musk, but yeah, you're right. It'll be, it'll be interesting to see what the more conspiratorially minded presenters on GB News tonight say about this. <laughs> oh, oh. I watched. Mark Dolan compared um, it to veganism. <laughs> what? <laughs> it's so good. What, 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 was the, what was the comparison? It's actually kind of like an art. Like, how do you, how do, you do that? <laughs> it's actually not a bad, a bad idea, you know. Like, ma major news event breaks, right? Most people turn on BBC News. Most people turn on Sky News. Or you can just fucking tune into GB News and be See like, what's what the hell have they got to what's say about this? Yeah. Sorry, go on. They're like in the in the um, the production suite before, and they're like rolling this dice, and on each one, it's got like a different group that you can pin it on. And then and they like roll it. Vegans. And they're like the XL bullies are being banned. Who is it now? <laughs> they roll the dice. They're literally like, ah, oh, sexual assault victims. <laughs> <laughs> um, can you run us through the logic? What was his comparison to veganism? How did it work? Well, he opened with like a list of like I guess that kind of culture it was like just stop oil vegans whatever and now what you make a youtube channel you appeal to six million people and this is what you get <laughs> we can put the clip in because when you listen to it through it makes you think everything is a point of division these days isn't it brexit veganism trans rights race the interpretation of history harry and Meghan versus the royal family it goes on even the allegations surrounding Philip Schofield and the BBC's Hugh Edwards became yet another tribal war. Why would that be? Why is this happening? Well, glued to our smartphones and laptops for an unhealthy number of hours in the day, the ingenious algorithms dreamt up in Silicon Valley funnel us into one identity group or another. 
They hack our psychology and manipulate us into taking sides. Now, in the good old days, we all thought different things. We agreed or we disagreed, and that was the end of it. Now, if we disagree, your opponent isn't just wrong, they're a bad person. It's unhealthy, it's counterproductive, and it threatens to wreck society. It's got to stop. We've got to do something about what the internet, and social media in particular, is doing to us as a species. A case in point is the devastating and horrific set of allegations against the actor and comedian Russell Brand. Makes you think. Jesus. Really makes you think that, doesn't it? Yeah, I want to see what Neil Oliver has to say about this. Yeah, that would be cracking. That would be an unbelievable bit of television. I don't know if he'll even address it, to be honest with you. Must do. They're quite, they're quite aligned in their sort of like World Economic Forum, Davos, Illuminati shit, aren't they? So It'd be kind of, um, you have to stand by your allies in that fight, in the good fight against the World Economic Forum. They've gone off Davos because Keir Starmer said he liked Davos. Oh, no. He ruined it for us. Uh-huh. I think Starmer said something like he was asked, would you rather be in Parliament oh, yeah, or, Davos. or at Davos? Yes. And he was like, Davos. well, I'd obviously like to be at Davos because there's a lot of good thinking going on here. Your Starmer impression has gotten worse. Well, do you know what? That was list- too close to your Ollie Douglas yeah, yeah, yeah. The listeners really liked it the last time. Well, they wouldn't like that one. Um, I was thinking at the weekend um, about Keir Starmer, as I often do. Uh I think when he goes to McDonald's, he orders a cheeseburger and asks for it plain. He's a, he's a vegetarian. Is he? Yeah, so we wouldn't be getting him a cheeseburger. Yeah, so that was a really... Yeah. That was a weak joke, because it's not based in truth. Mm-hmm. And all good comedy is Wait till Mark fact. Dolan finds out that he's a vegan or vegetarian. I think he's just vegetarian. But wait till Mark Dolan oh, finds out Mark about Dolan's this. Oh, Mark Dolan's going to lose it. Yeah. Davos, yeah. What, vegetarian. What, what do you get? What's a vegetarian thing at McDonald's? A McPlant. Is that tasty? Oh. Yes, it is. Oh, really? But before that, I used to get... A mayo chicken, no chicken, and then put like, like if it was like mozzarella sticks on them, whatever the cheese item that is available, I'd put that into it. Right. That sounds quite good. It is quite good. Mm. So do you think you could, so... I'm sorry, is it not as tasty as your pig spleen? (laughs) (laughs) Starmer could... 100% British and Irish beef over. Starmer could just get cheeseburger, hold the burger. And just have the worst sandwich of all time. I've just had... the sauce on his bare hand. <laughs> <laughs> I had people come in and order that before, but the worst thing was when they say no bun. That's so mental. Free, so you have to get out the pancake tray and put all the various items of the burger in the pancake tray and shut it and give it to them. And a knife and fork as well. <sighs> That's really weird. If you're going to go to McDonald's yes, to eat just point? like a, a, a patty. You know how the, you know how the, like, the customer is always right? Sometimes they're not. <laughs> 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 When I worked in a cafe in Edinburgh, I was really hungover and had to come in and someone not, <clears throat> at seven o'clock in the morning, someone was like, oh, can I have a, an egg mayo sandwich? I was like, no, you fucking can't. I'm not having to. What's wrong with that? It was disgusting. Why? Because it's egg mayo. But That's you have eggs fiction. for breakfast then. Yeah, but I'm like, I don't. What, I, just no mayo? Up, I don't really like boiled eggs. So you're upset as the assembly? I, I had to make it, which is what, what I was objecting to. You shouldn't have been working in a cafe. Yeah. Why? You, you didn't like making people sandwiches. No, I like <laughs> making the job. Sa- no, I didn't like making egg mayo sandwiches. Any other combination I was happy to provide. What about if it was egg and cress? Also gross. It's, it's the time as well. I was hungover. What about an all day breakfast? Again, that's your fault. <laughs> <laughs> and the eggs shouldn't smell. 
Well, they did. If the eggs smell, they are bad eggs. That's, a, that's what the point that I was making. How you know, do you feel? Get Edwina Curry on this. She'd have a lot to say. Why? Edwina Curry, Salmonella. How do you not remember this? Because I was not born. Oh my God. Why aren't you into the law of John Mayer? <laughs> John Major. John, John Mayer. Mayer. <laughs> You're into both. <laughs> John Major and Edwina Curry. Because. John Major, who legalized sodomy. I've got so much to say about Edwina Curry. <laughs> um, he actually did. He put. He, he was like. Anal. For everyone. All anal. That's a vote winner. Where do you stand on an all-day breakfast sandwich? Pro. But that has egg in it. Sorry, it's egg mayonnaise is specifically what I object to when I'm hungover and making it for you. That's my, that's my main objection. A situation we're yet to encounter together, but one we still have time to achieve. <laughs> well, no, I'm not making a fucking sandwich. What if someone ordered an all-day breakfast sandwich, but they wanted mayo? In it. I think that's wrong. I'd do it, but I think it's gross. But you would object to egg mayo? Yeah. Right. Ketchup or brown sauce in a bacon sandwich? <laughs> Ketchup, I think. Yeah. I like brown sauce too, though. <laughs> You've got two options. You have to stand in a room in a tank with a big tuna. <laughs> <laughs> or you have to make 100 egg mayo sandwiches. <laughs> On a stinky hangover. You're dusty. 100. 100. I'd do the 100 sandwiches. Would you over the yeah. big tuna? Yeah. I'm not scared that's of the like, egg meal. That's like a phobia, isn't it? There's, there's, like, there's, a, different, there's a scale of escalation. <laughs> yeah, it's way worse. <laughs> like the idea that you're scared of the egg mayo. I'm not. It's I'm like not, in the prep I'm not tin. scared of the egg mayo. <laughs> I'm scared of the fish. I'm scared of the big scary fish. <laughs> I'm not I'm just scared of the grim sandwich filling. Okay, let's test the limits of this then. Olympic pool. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Small fish. Right. Let's say a sardine. Right, okay. 100 egg mayo sandwiches. What am I doing in the pool? Just getting in it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, just go for a swim. <laughs> I can do that. But you, cool. you do that over the sandwiches. No, but it's a dark pool, so you don't know where the sardine is. It's like the sea, though. That's fine. The sea's dark. Okay, so we know that his inflection point is somewhere between pool and tank. Mm-hmm. Paddling pool. With a sardine still? Yeah. <laughs> I've actually never seen an alive sardine, so I don't know how freaky it We're is. We can arrange that. <laughs> I find out then. Um, I'm going to show you a video of a sardine, yeah. Um, I'm going to say... <laughs> the billion sardine dance. <laughs> Here it. we go. It's actually might cause me to have a panic attack. That's, that's a turtle. There they are. That's fucking awful. Oh no. I'll turn the audio down to make it easier for the edit. You want to see as well, Ava? Yeah, I'd like to see the sardines. Oh my god, Ed. Those are, just, just one though. Those are bubbles. Mood fish, are they not? There they are. I think I could... That's not a sardine. These aren't sardines. That's a ray. That's a whale. What's happening here? There they are. Those are sardines. I think I would just do... You and one of those pretty shiny boys. I think I would just do sandwich. You do the sandwich over a little sardine? In a paddling pool. Yeah, that's too, too close proximity. Okay. So it's about distance. Yeah. As far away from me as possible. Is ideally the... Distance between me and any fish. Okay, you have to. Okay, a paddling pool with a sardine in it, or 
100 hours of gym will fix it. Watching it? Yeah. And you have to eat egg sandwiches. So it's a paddling pool and a sardine <laughs> or watching a hundred hours, which are a hundred episodes. I get, well, I don't know. How long was Jim will fix it? I don't know. You were alive then. No, I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> hmm, suspect, your knowledge of John Major and Edwina Curry is far more in depth than your knowledge of Jim will fix it. <laughs> suspicious. It's very suspicious. I think that they're my favourite celebrity couple. <laughs> <laughs> 
a relationship with the EU. Mm -hmm. It feels like a misstep, I don't know. Can I make an argument? Yeah, I'd love you to. That I actually think it was a mistake mm. rather than a misstep. So do you know the way, can I tell you how the story played out for the, um, the Channel Crossing story last week? It was a timeline. So the story comes out in the sun. The Telegraph and the Mail had obviously got wind of it. They went to the Conservatives for comments. Mm -hmm. And that's why the Sun's headline was tougher laws on channel crossings. They were going to make all, um, I forgot the name, smugglers, terrorists. And then the story in the Telegraph was about how he'd have to let in thousands, potentially thousands of asylum seekers. Because the government know that if you're going to um, restrict the channel crossings you actually do have a legal obligation with Europe if you mm -hmm. tie yourselves to them to let those people in I just thought that timeline was so funny mm -hmm. because the, Labour just did not anticipate the Conservatives not having already have thought about this and decided what the downsides are do you know what I mean mm -hmm. like they had the paper ready to go they had the they had the cut off ready to go yeah. so yeah again I think it's a mistake I don't think he did not intend to let in potentially hundreds of thousands of asylum seekers in the same way I don't think he intended to say we are going to look at the single market. Mm. Is this another case of Keir Starmer can't do anything right? In terms of these, these are two things that you've called for a closer realignment with the EU yeah, yeah. on this podcast mm. and he's and he's um, promoting closer cooperation with the EU which I think is a good thing a large proportion of the country will think is a good thing it's only a mistake if you're only thinking of the way in which the Conservatives will frame it. Well, and probably the same with the, with the um, asylum seekers as well. It's a bit nuts to renegotiate that trade agreement if it's going to cost us a whole load of money and do, this, do the Europol agreement and do the Horizon agreement. If you're basically going to go and do all of the cogs, but you're not going to be involved with the actual... Decision-making. Yeah, it does seem a bit nuts. My opposition... I'm sorry, I'm not uh, I'm not saying I'm opposed to it. No, 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 I, I know you're not. I, I think, you know... Someone has to grasp the nettle. I just think maybe it's slightly politically insane to do it before an election. Um, but, you know, that's that's a matter of decision making. Um, what I mean to say is actually famously, you know, a majority of people aren't in favor of a close relationship with the EU. So it's it's a politically, a potentially electorally dangerous thing for him to do, even though it might be the right one. Um, but that, I guess that's that's leadership for you, right? Waiting until you got into office and then just doing it anyway be safer because that's kind of his mo as well right yeah but you know most people most i'm just trying to think of the polling i think the polling the last one did say that they would expect here to to forge closer ties with the eu if he was to become prime minister so why not just play off the assumption mm. and get in rather than protect potentially have this catastrophe before you can get in and do it yeah yeah, I I just I disagree. I don't know. I don't think it's a mistake. I think if you're going to pave, if you're going to do something as potentially radical as closer alignment with the EU, you should pave the way for the for the electorate. Yeah, because 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 it, it might it might not be popular now, but it might be more popular if you're making the case consistently up to the general election. Mm -hmm. Because I don't know. I think the pe the British public can change their mind from 2016. I think they have, uh, quite a few of them have. Yeah. And you want to give Scotland the Euro, so... Well, I should. I think we all do. That's, that's <laughs> it's, it's Just them. Position. Just them. Just them. See well, they already have those silly little banknotes. Let's, let's make them take the Euro instead. <laughs> we, should make, <laughs> silly little banknotes. we should make one random town in, like, on the Red Wall take the Euro. Nothing, <laughs> nothing pisses me off more 
than when you go to Northern Ireland and you come back with a bank of Ulster note, or you go to Scotland and you come back with an RBS note, and some uppity fucker in a shop is like, that's not legal tender. My man, it is. Preaching and you have to accept the it. the choir. Oh yeah, cashless society, here we go. Have you seen the guy on TikTok who goes around with his £100 coin? And tries to no, pay with it. That's really funny. <laughs> it actually is. He goes around, he's got this hundred pound coin, and then there's is like it legal tender. I have learned it is legal tender. You must accept this. And he goes, this is this is actually his voice. <laughs> he's like, he's it's like, gonna sound like me. <laughs> he's like, well, I've offered you legal tender, and you've refused it. I have held up my side of the contract, and you have not filled yours. So I am going to leave now legally without paying. And this is what he Bought does stuff. up and down the country, like with the goods. With the, well, he'll go and get petrol and try and pay with a £100 That's coin so or whatever. Funny. So he's not holding in. the petrol. The petrol, is, I'm assuming, is in his car at that point. Can you explain to me how a coin, A, is worth £100 mm-hmm. and B, how it's legal tender? Because I've never heard of it. It's a collector's item. From the Bank of England? Yeah. But it actually... So it is legal yeah, tender. They had like a £5 coin. They've commissioned them at various points. But, but are they not just like... For nonsense royal things to mark occasions, you can't actually use them to pay for anything. You can use them to pay for things. I used to get five pound coins. My granddad used to give me a lot of five pound coins. (laughs) That's a really funny backstory to that. Apparently, we can imagine we can fill in the gaps for that that conversation. (laughs) It's the Politics Show podcast. Ed, talk to me about American XL bullies. They are trying to take away my dog fluffy that's only mauled one child this year (laughs) (laughs) and i will not have it yeah um, that's outrageous isn't it what they're trying to take away my fluffy yeah furious um the dog's scared of fish (laughs) no i'm scared of fish that's why i need the dog dog loves fish he defends me from the fish (laughs) who'd win a tuna or an exo bully entirely super fundamental this is where does the fight take place Uh, the sea tuna 100 percent land the tuna. <laughs> no, no, I don't know because what if it's on the beach? What if it's like there's there's enough water for the tuna to survive and flap about, but there's enough, it's shallow enough that the bully can still move itself? That would actually be quite a decent That would point. have to be the arena, yeah. Mm. Um, we should look into that. Have you seen uh, the other guys, the film? Yes, that was just that conversation. <laughs> <laughs> have you seen it, Ava? No. If like this whole debate is Will Ferrell and Mark Wahlberg and they're having an argument. And one of the insults is, if you were a lion and I was a tuna, I'd construct, a, I'd construct an improvised series of breathing apparatus, come and find you and kill you. It's a good film. This is, a, re- this is a real clear illustration of like men quoting films at each other. <laughs> and the smile on our faces. Who, who is a male teenager the, the, in the, the smile on our faces discussing that and Ava just looking at us both being like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> it's a gap. Um, Exibility owners are angry. Believe it or not. Just like their dogs. Just like their dogs. Um, one Facebook group that I'm in for ex-bully owners, the header of the Facebook group is an image of Rishi Sunak and it just says cunt on it. <laughs> <laughs> so that part of the Conservative coalition is, I, for, is, um, is falling apart. Ex-bully owners. I told you about my uh, that girl I know who's come out in like real support of XL bullies, but she's like a fake celiac. And so she's... <laughs> Not scared enough to have an XL bully, but scared enough to avoid all gluten. I think um, separate point. Mm-hmm. This is from uh, this is from the rawmint.com. In practice, this means that although the silver UK coins we produce in denominations of five pounds, twenty pounds, fifty pounds, and hundred pounds are approved as legal tender, they have been designed as limited edition collectibles or gifts and will not be entering general circulation. Mm. As such, UK shops and banks are unlikely to accept them. 
So basically, it's you can use this, but if you could just please not be such a huge, massive dork, and could you just yeah. enjoy your coin at home? Enjoy your coin. Yeah. What does that involve? Surely you have to pay Look postage and packaging it. on that Tasting as well. It. Yeah. So if you'd actually probably be buying a, a £100 coin, but for £103.99. So if you go to spend it, you're losing your £3.99, aren't you? Mad. Um, Ed, there's, there's, a, there's an XL Bully Dangerous Dogs protest. Not just one. There's two. And I bet you're looking forward to encountering some uh, XL Bullies at those protests. Well, believe it or not, the XL Bully owners protests on Saturday and Sunday. There's actually various ones around the country, but they're being advised to not bring the dogs. <laughs> because I think your argument about these being dogs being fine completely goes out the window <laughs> if that dog attacks someone at your this dog is fine protest. Um, yeah, it'd be interesting because I think it's you, you see these people's TikToks and like emotional pleas about how much they love their dog. And you do like empathize with their dog. But and, and I think a lot of people who are campaigning are actually, they are the responsible owners. They are the ones who have incredibly well-trained dogs who keep their dogs on long leashes when they're out for a walk. They exercise them safely. But the problem is the proliferation of people who are not taking those precautions. It's really easy to get an exo-bully puppy and from people from unlicensed breeders. And that's the danger. If you're like a 17-year-old, say you're a 17-year-old single mother with a 60-kilogram dog with more muscle density than like any bodybuilder, whatever. What like that is a, and you can't train it properly because you actually don't have the physical strength or the time or the inclination. I think That's you're wrong on the so single dangerous. mother thing. Bad example. Single mother would have that thing running like the Navy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, more than said in size discrepancy, I suppose. Yeah. But, um, but maybe the dog's sexist. They won't listen. Yeah. Have you considered that? Have you seen that? Like, there was this video going around of this guy who was like really scrawny. Maybe he was like probably like five six, but like really scrawny. And he had this like XL bully, and he was like trying to show the camera. He was like, "This is, he's lovely, he's lovely," and he was like being pulled like oh. <laughs> by the lead like that. <laughs> yeah, it's um it's a difficult one, isn't it? And also, I think those people who are like emotionally playing. I don't think anyone's suggesting that there's going to be a, like a cull. Emily Thornberry will be. I don't think anyone's <laughs> suggesting that they're going to get rounded up and put down. I am, the only way you can possibly implement this is you ban the sale and purchase and breeding of them. Right? Yeah. yeah. And then they die out. Yeah. It doesn't Na sell by, quite of natural well. causes. <laughs> yeah. 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 Or maybe not. Maybe they are talking about putting them all down. I think. I think they're exploring the options at the moment. <laughs> I think they are. I think sounds, I, sounds I, like I, a Bond villain. I think. I think we'll, we'll explore we will the options. Consider all the options. <laughs> we know you're a very. <laughs> You love your dog, Mr. Bond. <laughs> if the dog survives an attack from a massive tuna, it gets put down. I suggest. And if it dies during that attack with massive tuna, problem solved already. Why don't we just put them down by dropping them in the middle of the sea? <laughs> oh my God, that's so dark. <laughs> because then the great You're going to get, get a done taste now. for uh... What's her name? Britain first are going to be all over you. Is she pro dog? What's her name? Jacinda or something. Jada Franson. Jada Franson. Is she pro dog? Jacinda. That's why, that was their whole um, yeah yeah of course their they Facebook are. strategy was like they shared like really racist memes along with like like if you like puppies, that's how they grew their Facebook pages. Right. The Venn diagram of protect dogs and no more migrants is a complete circle. <laughs> I don't think that's true. Didn't someone call it dog racism over the weekend? It was. Um, I think someone did. Munichuao did a sketch about it. As well, which is very good. Nice. Um, oh, what was going to say? Where do you stand on it? Ban them. I think ban them. I think. What about an Alsatian? Ban that. Alsatians aren't killing children at the rate of 
exobullies. I think that's. I think that's. They are dangerous dogs. Though. No, they no, they are. But I think I think this is the. It's not a simple. It's not as simple as that. It's like statistically, this has become an issue in mm. the past few years, and there is a. These dogs are responsible for a disproportionate amount of attacks by dogs, and that does need to be addressed. Um, what about a license? A license. I'd back a license, but That's I think. I, I I, but I think they go hand in hand. Mm. I think if you need, I think yeah, you need a ban to, and then license. Because it's also a bit, it's a bit responsible ownership, mm. and you and you can't like you wouldn't. You you wouldn't want people taking like a wolf into their home with, <coughs> with like like without. I would. Well, yes, but it'd kill you. Like you'd be <laughs> thick to do that. Yeah, but, but he can do what he wants in his own phone. Home, <laughs> but as in, I, I think the problem is, is like me responsible and training are spending nine months like in intense, combat, yeah, personal, <laughs> personal conflict until you become the alpha, and then we leave the flat. One of us is the alpha. We don't know which one. It's too early to say, but bonded for life. Uh, that's, a, that's an interesting approach to dog training, but <laughs> and we can license that yeah. process. <laughs> I don't think ban. What do you think? I think that you should have to go to regulated training with it and if that regulated trainer decides that dog mm. is not safe to be off lead or in the public like like you can it can determine you know that then then the dog has to be culled have you ever been bitten by a dog no have you yes have you really a miniature dashing did it hurt yeah it did hurt it did hurt a bit because it kept going didn't stop wasn't oh, one no done. wasn't one and done I thought you were. I thought you got some pathetic scars. I thought you were a badger from it. Oh, yeah. that was recently. I remember yeah. that. Yeah, I feel yeah. like I remember you coming back and complaining about being bitten by a miniature dachshund. Yeah. yeah, I think you started off by saying my wolf and I were in the middle. of... <laughs> <laughs> we were locked in a we know, we, yeah. know who's leaving, we know who's leaving that nine-month trial by combat as the beta. It's me because yeah. <laughs> oh, I yeah. got done by a miniature dachshund. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the miniature dachshund came out on top. Yes, it's the Politics Show podcast. Quick word on Liz Truss. She's still at it. She's back. She's the bitches back. Politics is good again, baby. Uh, she just won't fucking quit. She's explaining to everyone at the Institute for Government this morning that we have low productivity and low growth and we can't encourage people to make millions here because tax is too high. Now, I was in favour of one thing she said, which was she was outraged at the graduate tax, which I first missed... And then I heard her say that it was outrageous that people had to pay the graduate tax. And I was like, do you know what, Liz? All right. You get it. You get it. Talk to me. Um, I think she's got... (laughs) What she's arguing is that, yes, that that people aren't going to want to be encouraged to come here, to put their money here, because the taxes are so high. But she's completely ignoring the fact that if you are of a certain class or wealth, you don't pay those taxes. That money is not here. Mm -hmm. That money is on the Cayman. So we're talking about ordinary people who work in the public sector who earn maybe 50 grand and yeah, it's a bit shit that they're getting paid. They're paying 40% tax, right? Mm. Yeah, I think her continued political career is quite embarrassing. I think if you've been embarrassed out of office, that's it for you. The Prime Minister's spokesman was asked, did Rishi Sunak watch Liz Truss's speech? And the spokesman said, no, Rishi Sunak was busy actually being the prime minister. It's <laughs> <laughs> good, a good answer. Yeah. Good response. If, you, if your rival has been laughed out of office. Yeah, I don't know if she could even have a dig. You know, I feel like Theresa May has kind of got it in doing like a semi-dignified backbencher thing. 
she was prime minister for so much longer. Try and whitewash your career with like a book. Mm-hmm. You know, move on. Yep. Laundered her reputation. I don't know if that's been particularly successful, but she's tried to. Yeah. Boris Johnson, just leave in disgrace. Off you go. David Cameron, leave in disgrace. Liz Truss is kind of... The, I think the, undignified. The, it's undignified because it's the delusions of grandeur. Yeah, yeah. It, I it, was right. I was right. Yeah. In the same way that she just clearly was so incapable of doing the job mm-hmm. and was so out of her depth. In the same way, she's now like touring. Did she, did she go to China? Did she go to China and deliver a speech of some description? Maybe. She, what are you talking? About? You're not talking about port markets in Beijing. No, 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 no. She's been back. I don't know, but I don't know. There's. She's trying to still, she, it, it's so cringe because she's trying to be an influential voice in politics despite have, being so lacking in self-awareness that she cannot see that everyone, she's totally discredited. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, yeah, but she does speak for a pro- silent majority. No, a proportion of conservative backbenchers because that's what they're doing at the moment. They're going to Sunak and they're saying like, you need to offer tax cuts. You need to offer tax incentives. I need to go back to the constituency or I'm going to lose it unless you offer these. And they're all bolstering her behind the scenes and telling her like, you are the best thing ever because they don't want to actually have to put their name to it because it's so embarrassing to Mm -hmm. have to do it. Can you imagine if she fucking came back and led the Tory party? I'm insane. I'd love that. Uh Britain would fall. Yeah. Uh, probably in opposition, I think. I think they they lose the next election. They trust in opposition. They ha- they like f- fully lose their minds. It's inevitable. They're going to have this ideolo- battle for the ideological soul, etc. Upon which the most mental right wing person will win. So either Suella or Liz, whoever's the last woman standing. I think if it's Liz, that's the end of the Conservative Party. I've actually got some great predictions for this, some rogue ones, but I think we should do a whole other episode on it. Oh, predictions. Right. Yeah. Will we save it for them? We'll save it for them. Okay, fantastic. Um, Ed Campbell, Ava Santina, a pleasure to speak to both of you. Ava, how can people get tickets to come and see you do a live version of the podcast with Mick Lynch in Liverpool next month? You can go and buy tickets right now on The World Transformed. The World Transformed. I'm going to say it again because no one could understand Ed the last time. Quite racist, actually. The world transformed. Eighth <laughs> um, of October, five thirty. Ed, how fire are the memes on the Paul Joe subreddit? So fire! You can re- re- go to r slash politics Joe and make more fire memes. We're in the top twenty percent of subreddits of all time in terms of numbers, which I think is quite mental. Do you want to be part of that twenty percent of people with great taste on Reddit? Welcome to the elite. Absolutely. And no more comments on the YouTube, like about me swallowing or not what the fuck was that oh yeah yeah stop that yeah that. yeah it was really weird did yeah it was we, grim did we block those people can't remember you, po- you pointed I out I think it. I did yeah, yeah. yeah good yeah. yeah none of that nonsense you're not allowed to listen to this podcast anymore mate yeah see you on the next one tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts good news ad free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.